Society News Center. Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Money Talk. I'm Neil Kreisel and Diane Duvernay, your host every week right here on AM 1290, repeated at 11 and on Saturdays at 6. We're brought to you by Cornerstone Home Lending, whose highly trained and experienced team takes great pride in helping people with home financing, offering competitive rates and a wide array of loan programs. American Riviera Bank, smart banking for smart people in Santa Barbara at Figueroa and Anacapa Streets and in Montecito's Upper Village at Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm in Santa Barbara, providing its clients with the personal care and attention of a small independent firm coupled with the vast resources of a major financial institution. Hi, Neil. How are you? I'm doing good. You were sick. How are you doing? I am much better. Thank you feeling much better, which I'm very happy about. And um, so we have with us today, Mike C, who is an adjunct lecturer at the California State University Channel Islands. Mike, thanks so much for being here with us. We appreciate it. For having me. So um, we have a number of articles today, Diane, and I think the first one is one you like. It's about the... uh, way people today versus a year ago are thinking about their financial advisors. And uh, this is from CNBC. They did a story yesterday. And the story was that last year, 30% of the people polled said the most trusted source for financial advice was was themselves. This year, 26% said, which was number one, that it's financial advisors. Uh, and, you know, after the events of last year, many people are looking for someone they can trust during unpredictable times, um, said the person who did the survey. And now around 38 percent of survey respondents say they are currently working with a financial advisors, up 29 percent who work for one before the pandemic. So we have, you know, at least in this crazy world, at least something that's intelligent going on in terms of people looking for the right kind of advice. Absolutely. Because I think what the pandemic taught a lot of people is that, you know, contrary to what your emotions are telling you to do, that isn't always the right answer. Well, the next five articles argue exactly against what I just said. It's a series of articles I found this week, all saying the same thing about how crazy everybody is. And the first article was in Saturday's Wall Street Journal, and it's entitled The New Market Movers. And it takes a look, and it's a page and a half, which is a pretty big page and a half for the Wall Street Journal. It takes a look at some of the movers in, and, and, and money makers in the financial advisor non-licensed uh, circle. <clears throat> and the one that they begin with is a YouTube uh, performer who makes $5 million a year. And by the way, that was verified by the Wall Street Journal. He has uh, $1 million. 1.7 million followers on YouTube. And um, uh, he was a former uh, real estate broker who um, decided it would be easier to shift to uh, making financial advice uh, available. And um, the, the, uh, the, 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 the most interesting thing about him is that 
I used to spend three or four hours with one client talking to them about real estate and they could buy and I would make after 90 days, $10,000. He says, today I make 10,000 revenue on a bad day. Uh, and you know he has 1.7 million followers. Um, uh, the article goes on to say that most of these influencers have no formal training as financial advisors, no background in professional investing, leading them to pick stocks based on whims of, of uh, popular opinion or to dispense money losing advice. Um, the uh, traditional finance is a black book, said one of these uh, 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 YouTubers. Uh, this generation is looking at their parents and saying, the way you thought about money, that isn't how it works anymore. Young people want a roadmap how to make a big profit with a strong independent streak that draws many of them to online influences who dole out advice. Okay, that's frightening, Neil. But the the good news for you is you should ditch these two radio shows and you could, you know, start up your YouTube channel. You'd be making uh, some serious money in um, retirement. No, because they wouldn't they wouldn't listen to me because I wouldn't make them any money. I would tell them to buy um, very secure long term investments. They want to have. Uh, immediate gratification, which is one of the drivers here. They want to make money in the next two or three hours, not in the next two or three decades. What so- I find to be interesting about that is I think, you know, it, it it's reminiscent of the dot-com boom in the late 90s, where pretty much you could invest in anything and make money. And when the, sh- when the, when the market starts to pull back or the tides change and, and it really, um, fundamentals start to play play a real um, serious role in investing again, you're going to see a lot of these YouTubers and influencers really get beaten up badly. Uh, absolutely. Uh, the next article, again, on this uh, theme of craziness uh, is, is called The Humbling of the Experts. Uh, Wall Street professionals are now, uh, including Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, um, and a whole bunch of large hedge funds are having uh, are creating groups of employees whose job it is to go through red reddit twitter and chart and startup and chat startup like discord to search for training opportunities and what they're doing is they want to follow what the kids are doing because they think that's a way to make money which makes the whole world turn upside down when goldman sachs is paying people to look at the crazies in order to make investment decisions uh the next article, again, in this theme is the SEC launches review of brokers online outreach. Um, here's one that I guess I didn't know about, but uh, when Robinhood uh, 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 and other uh, brokers that are looking at young investors, uh, they actually recommend stocks to uh, people and uh, with you know no real... Uh, fundamental backing behind it. And the uh, SEC chairman said, in many cases, these features, that is these web features that will pick out what you seem to be interested in based upon your your history, uh, is encouraging investors to make trades more often uh, in different products or charge for their investment strategy. So there is, you know, an SEC now waking up to say, maybe we should take a, a hard look at the tactics of Robinhood and others in terms of, of actually pushing stocks. Um, 
The next article, again, with this theme is there are apps now to teach children money lessons, which is good because, uh, and we've talked about this before, that um, the level of financial uh, expertise among young people today is abysmal. Um, and, and also the education piece is abysmal. There really is nothing out there. If your parents aren't teaching it to you, you're not getting it. Well, here's one that you may not have known about either, but this is horrifying. But some of these apps now provide the ability for the kid to open up an account and actually trade. And um, the uh, it as this is a quote from someone who is uh, the president of a company called Foolproof Foundation which promotes healthy skepticism about financial products, says it's irresponsible to allow children who may not have fully absorbed lessons about the necessary necessity of working to earn money, saying saving and spending it wisely to invest in stocks. So here we have these apps proposed, uh, purportedly to help kids understand basic investment and money theory. And at the end of the day, some of them are permitting them actually to go out and buy and sell and trade stocks. You know, I, I have to say, it, legally, I don't think that that's, uh, that's something that they can do. They need to have a guardian sign off on that in order to have a UTMA account. And it's really the guardian's responsibility to make the trading decisions, not the minor. So I'm not sure how those apps are getting around the legal requirements. I'm sure they're getting the parents to sign off on it. I'm sure they're letting the parents sign off on it. But the problem is you sign off on it and you give the kid $400. And then the kid gets into the habit of thinking that this is a way to make money. So I'm sure parents have to sign off. But the idea that you're letting the kid, instead of playing video games, trade stocks is and think that's the way to invest, to me, is a very bad habit. Uh, and just to round this all off, uh, the final article for today is called Robin Hood Stock Giveaway Bites Back. And apparently when Robin Hood was actually when I think they still are uh, marketing for new customers, uh, they would offer uh, stock in companies as a, as a bonus for signing up. And um, the problem with that is they're doing it with partial shares and they're doing it for thousands and thousands of people. Well, if you are a public company, and this is what the article is focused on, uh, has more shareholders, it's more expense because you've got to send a proxy statement out to every uh, shareholder. So um, this company they use as an example called Catalyst uh, found that they had so many new stockholders that um, it cost them an additional $234,000 for printing their proxy statements. So one of the ironies of this whole idea of giving away stock is that you're creating um, expenses for these companies. Uh, you're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 KZSB, and we'll be right back. For prospective homebuyers, one of the most important steps of the loan process is getting clear and honest information from someone who will speak plainly and truthfully about loan programs and options. I'm Kelly Marsh, Vice President, California, of Cornerstone Home Lending, where our highly skilled and experienced team takes great pride in helping clients obtain home financing with honest, knowledgeable, fast, friendly, and efficient service. As a Santa Barbara native who has spent the past 20 years in the mortgage industry and has closed over 4,000 loans, I'd appreciate the opportunity to earn your business and invite 
invite you to visit the kellymarshteam.com or call my office at 805-563-1100 to learn more about how Cornerstone Home Lending can help you determine the best way to manage mortgage debt to achieve a more stable financial future. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. California Residential Mortgage Lending Act license number 41DB072220. California Financial Lending Law license number 60DB072528. Loan originator NMLS number 245822. Not a commitment to loan. Equal housing opportunity. It's a fact. Successful wealth management is built on strategies that focus on the big picture, take a long-term view, and establish deep and valued relationships. Hello, I'm Diane Duva, founding partner at Arlington Financial Advisors, Santa Barbara's trusted family guide, empowering you to make more informed and confident decisions. At Arlington Financial Advisors, we bring order and balance to your financial life by monitoring and managing risk so you can focus on your work, family, and enjoying the moment. We are a fully independent firm offering strategic financial planning, estate and tax planning, and private money management. Our plans and portfolios are handcrafted using a rigorous and disciplined approach, supported by a consistent yet highly personalized client experience. Our clients look to Arlington Financial Advisors as a home away from home, a comfortable place to protect what they've accomplished while they prepare for what comes next. Please visit ArlingtonFinancialAdvisors.com or call me, Diane Duva, at 805-699-7300. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Cornerstone Home Lending. Since 1988, a mortgage banker and direct lender that believes in providing in-depth loan consulting to its customers in a personalized and honest manner. And we can be reached at 805-564-1290, or you could email us at moneytalk1290 at gmail.com. Now, if you're just joining us, we have the pleasure of having Michael C. with us today. He is the CEO of AAA Development Inc., a construction and development company, and he's also an adjunct lecturer at Cal State Channel Islands. Michael, thanks so much for being here with us. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So tell us a little bit about yourself. You have a varied past. You were in the um, medical device startup industry. And so tell us about how you got involved in that. So when I graduated from school, like every college student, I thought that I was going to be given a six-figure salary in an awesome corner office, which didn't happen. Uh, I looked at some different industries and I wound up uh, pursuing some some work in the medical device industry. So I worked in that for about 12 to 15 years, uh, worked for some of the, the giants um, around that that industry, like Medtronic and Baxter and Tyco Healthcare and a few others. And and really enjoyed my time there, but uh, unfortunately, I was I was cursed with my father's curse, which is entrepreneurship, and therefore I was always constantly looking for something to do on my own. So even the with the security that is the medical device industry, and as wonderful it is, and as as much as it pays well, it just didn't quite have that satisfaction that I was looking for. So. That was one of the reasons why uh, I started AAA development with uh, with a good friend of mine. And and we've been co-owners of that for the last 15 years. But that's a different business. Uh, what, uh, how did that transition from medical devices to home building take place? Completely and totally unrelated, as you can imagine. So when, when I was younger, uh, I worked as a stone fabricator and, and tile setter. 
always been good with my hands. Uh, you know, I went to school. Uh, like I said, when I graduated, I didn't have a job. I actually framed roof structures for a friend for a little while. And uh, so Mike and I had established a relationship. The other owner, his name is Mike, same haircut as well. But he, uh, he and I uh, would do a lot of work together on the side and, and what have you. And, and as a result of that, uh, as things progressed, we looked at each other one day and we said, hey, why don't we cause the recession, the great recession of 2007? So that's when we started our business it was in March of 2007. And so if you want to blame us for that. So, so really the reason why you have the haircut that you do or the lack of hair for our listeners who are listening is because you, you started a business in, in March of 2007. Yeah. It was a little crazy, a little crazy at the time, but, but if you, I think every market, whether up or down has opportunity and it was definitely more difficult, but you know, like we were talking about earlier with the investment thing, it's like, you know, a rising tide raises all ships. We've all heard that that, that, uh, that little anecdote, but, uh, when things get tough is when you have to really instigate or, or put into practice the actual skill sets that make you successful, whether it's investing, whether it's in business or whatever that you're doing in life. And so when things get really hard, the people that have the best skill sets and maybe work the hardest are the ones that are going to usually come out with some level of success, whether it's a down market or an up market. So I think that's really interesting that you drew on experiences that you you thought you were just, you know, in between maybe getting, you know, your your bachelor's degree and your MBA that you fell back on framing houses and doing some construction work is actually what you then went on to start your entrepreneurship adventure, shall I say, mm -hmm. um, in AAA development. So tell us a little bit about the niche market of AAA development. So we, we do a little bit of everything. So, uh, you know, we build custom homes. We do tenant improvement work for commercial stuff. We, we do projects on our own, some spec, some for clients. And, you know, I think one of the niches that, you know, people ask us, they say, what makes you different than anybody else is, you know, we like to look at every type of problem that has, there's always a solution to every problem. And I think some people in business, whether it's in business, whether it's in construction, they're presented with a problem. And a lot of times they just say, well, we can't do that. And so like in the construction industry, client might come to you with a certain design and they say, well, we want to do this. And they might get told that they can't do it or that it's cost prohibitive. So Mike and I's attitude has always been one of like, let's try to find a solution. And ironically enough, uh, I was on the phone with a client the other day in the car. My youngest son was with me is 15. And we were talking for about 45 minutes and he asked me, he said, so what do you do all day at work? And I said, well, I solve problems. And so they think that, you know, dad's a contractor. He goes out and literally like builds a house. But the reality of it is, is that just like anything in business, you, it's all about solving problems. And that's what, that's what I do all day. And I think the ability to solve problems is, is what we do best here at AAA Development. Speaking of solving problems, uh, here's one that's difficult. How do you get employees to work for you? Because I understand in every industry, but particularly the, the skilled builder industry, it's really tough to get qualified people. It, extremely difficult. Uh, it's You hang on to the good ones that you have. You try to treat them the best that you have within your financial constraints that you have within your company. 
I mean, it would be nice if, you know, if we all had unlimited funds to be able to pay our employees what, what you know, what we want. Um, but we try to do our best to balance that and, and make them happy in regards to not only compensation, but a good work environment, flexibility, those types of things. So we want to be flexible. We want to have a good work environment, a good, a good culture. We want to be a family oriented culture. If somebody needs to go take care of something with their kid, we want to be receptive to that. And a lot of industries and companies are not. And sometimes you just got to find the financial means to just pay a little more because the market dictates it and it hurts, but it's, it's good. And if that's what the market dictates, then, then you need to pay them what they need. So how has the supply chain um, issues that we're hearing about in the news affected your business specifically? I know for a period of time, a two by four that was going for $2 and 40 cents was up to like 10 bucks, a two by four have things settled out. And have you, have you felt the effects of the supply chain issues? Um, yeah, we've definitely felt the, the effects of the supply chain, uh, especially in the commodities market, but not just commodities, but a lot of the vendors as well. Uh, there's been supply chain issues with the logistics, but not only with that, just back order issues with appliance suppliers, and you know, plumbing fixture suppliers, decorative light fixtures. We've also had issues. I know if you if you ever fly into LAX, you see all the ships sitting out in the in the harbor outside by Catalina Island. They're all anchored outside of the port of Los Angeles. So it's drastically affected how we do business in, in a sense that you the construction industry went through a period where everybody carried a ton of inventory probably 15, 20 years ago. So you could walk into anywhere and they just had a ton of inventory in their warehouses. Uh, they got smart by accounting principles, I would say, and carried a lot less inventory. And then it kind of moved to this kind of just in time or a JIT type situation where you're constantly ordering stuff and the factories were producing those items kind of in a JIT way. And then now that the pandemic has hit and everything's come across, it's created a scenario where you just can't quite get the things that you need in their longer lead time. So you just have to be a better planner. Oh, and we've lost Neil's sound. So I think this sounds like a great time for a commercial. So we will be right back with Money Talk. When a bank is owned by the community and invests in the community, it answers to a different call. It's personal. It's driven by your needs, not ours. Welcome to American Riviera Bank, based right here in Santa Barbara with branches in Montecito and Goleta. Our customers know us for personal service every day, every way. You can bank on us. Bank on us. Bank on us! American Riviera Bank. Bank on better. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains dragging behind your truck. 
that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. Business is great in Santa Barbara, and Santa Barbara is great for business. Ravi and Athaloy Ortega and Earl Armstrong with the CEO Report. Santa Barbara's longest-running, locally-produced radio program. Wednesday morning at 11 a.m., we rebroadcast the show at 9 p.m., and on Saturday morning at 9 a.m., we're streaming live on newspress.com. Your weekly business radio magazine on KZSB AM 1290. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm founded on providing thoughtful, objective, and comprehensive financial guidance for families and entities who are seeking long-term financial confidence. If you're just joining us, we're talking with um, adjunct lecturer at California State University Channel Islands, um, Mike Say, who's also an owner and CEO of AAA Development Company. So before the break, we were talking about the construction company, but let's switch gears for a moment because I noticed that you also have a patent on a medical device. um, And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that and how you went about developing it and what um, process did you go through to uh, achieve the the patent status? Well, uh, try to. So that's been a long working process. Uh, we were awarded a patent for that uh, a few years ago. It's a micro titanium bone screw used for fixating bone, um, typically in the cranial facial area, which would basically be in your head. Um, just like most entrepreneurs, you're looking at solving problems and. My, my former business partner on that project, he was in the operating room one day and the surgeon turned over and looked at him and held up this little tiny 1.5 millimeter by four millimeter titanium bone screw. And he said, there's no way that this thing can cost that much money. And as a result of that conversation, Todd came back and we started discussing that. And we spent a lot of time kind of building the business plan and doing those things and, and figuring out what to do. Now, we went through a lot of pain and heartache with the patent process. It's uh, not as simple as maybe the Invent Help commercial on TV says that it is. Uh, it's definitely one of those things that you want to have the, the right attorney. Uh, you The technical writing has to be very in-depth. And, and after a lot of heartache we were able to actually finally be awarded that patent so now we we hold that in a in a company that that's looking for a licensing agreement for that and my current partner and i and that are are looking at trying to figure out a way to to license that technology back out into the medical device community but it's uh it's not always that easy they're 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 not constantly knocking on your door saying hey do you have a a small 1.5 by 4 millimeter micro titanium bone screw that we can implement into our you know, our portfolio of products. So it's, it's, it's fun to be able to invent something, but at the same time, um, there's, there's a long road ahead with that. Absolutely. And so what was your primary role in the, um, medical device companies that you worked for? 
So I, I did a lot of sales when I worked for the, the big companies with the, uh, with the micro titanium bone screw company. I was mainly involved with kind of the corporate governments and the, the entrepreneurship side, uh, raising capital. We did a lot of what you'd call bootstrap financing, which is, you know, friends, family, and fools, as they say in the literature, uh, and in a lot of self-funding with that. So, uh, I felt like I had a lot of experience in the operating room, um, in sales, spent a lot of time spending time with neurosurgeons and orthopedic surgeons that, that did those types of surgeries. And so you, you learn over time what they're looking for and, and what solves problems. So once again, it goes back to that problem solving thing of entrepreneurship. It's it, whether it's a financial cost, whether it's a ease of use, whether it's, it's something that's inhibiting them from being efficient. That's always kind of the, the thought process about that type of, of scenario. So as someone who sounds like you're very driven, obviously moving from one field to the next and, and you know, not just doing it, but rather rising to the top and, and creating and, and really um, setting, setting new rules for the industries, what makes you want to teach at Channel Islands? And you, you said on the break that you've been teaching there for nine years and what what gives you that drive to want to continue to teach in the entrepreneurship department? I I love I just I love being with the students and you know I, sometimes you use the term kids but it, it's not really that case. There's a lot of people that that are at all walks of life going through that educational process and and from a young age I always felt like the education was the background that you needed in order to be able to combine that with the experience to become wise about the decisions that you need to make in life. And I love uh, the element of, of seeing the success of students, seeing them do well on a project, seeing them, you know, improve their writing skills. And, and I always felt like the professors that I had when I was in, in college, the ones that combined the academic with the practical usage were the ones that I loved. And so I thought if I can bring that to the classroom and bring some of my experience I always tell the students, I'm an, I'm an open book. You can ask me any question you want about my business, about my life or anything that I'm doing. And, and that's how we do that. And so as a result of that, it's, it's a lot of fun. Most of the students are younger, so they, they kind of keep you on your toes and you get kind of used to these different trends that are taking place and you want to be a part of that. And it's just a great culture on campus. And I just can't, I can't be happier that, that we're actually back in class, which is a lot of fun. It's been uh, roughly two years since we've so been. How did you first get involved with teaching? So I, I had a really good friend. Wake up I, one day and say, hey, I want to I want to teach. I mean, I, I've always enjoyed kind of, kind of that instructional element of teaching. And, and I've done some teaching like one off where I've had friends that taught at other universities. They asked me to come in and guest lecture and, and do that type of stuff. And. I had one uh, friend he was teaching at University of Laverne. He asked me to come in and talk about my business one day, and and I I was bitten with that bug. It was just it was just so much fun to just interact and and talk about those things and just see the learning process firsthand. That that I you know I decided to pursue some more education as a result of that, and and also uh, I asked my friend to help me decide how to get into that industry and and a really good friend of mine Dax Jacobson he he made some introductions and I did the application process and 
interviewed with the dean at the time and the chair and and it just it worked out and so i started out just teaching one or two classes and and it just kind of pursued into that ever since and i even pursued a doctoral degree in the middle of all that amongst everything else that i was doing and because my wife said i'm not going to wait for you to do this when you're older in life she's like you gotta go do it right now so I pursued that and, and finished my dissertation and, and all that defense stuff. Uh, just a little bit about a year and a half ago, two years ago. So well, congratulations. It's, that's Thank a you. huge milestone. I should have, in, I should have introduced you as Dr. Mike C. I only will do that. The next call me doctor. <laughs> only my kids have to call me Dr. Dad. That's it. Those are the only <laughs> ones. Otherwise just Mike is just perfectly fine. Well, and you've also hit a major milestone with the your um, students in the global business strategy game, Channel Islands or Cal, California State University Channel Islands beat 600 teams from 56 colleges from all over the globe, and you were their professor. So that is pretty awesome. Congratulations. Tell us a little bit about that game. So the, the, the strategy game is it's, it's kind of fun. So they, they get, they do a simulation and the simulation is based upon a shoe company. So they are for lack of a better term, they're the executive team of the shoe company. And so they have a lot of inputs and things that they add into the game. So they, they make marketing decisions, they make operational decisions, they make finance decisions, they make human resource decisions. And as a result of that, they compete with not only the other teams within that particular class, but they also enroll those decisions and they compete against um, other teams globally from all the other universities when they run those simulations. So they make decisions, um, the, the game processes those, and then they receive metrics back on where they play. So there's an overall score it's calculated, but also it talks about their earnings per share and their return on equity and, and those types of things. So it, it's a lot of fun for them to kind of implement all of these things that they, they have segmented all throughout their college tenure, for lack of a better term. You know, they, they take a marketing class, but they don't get the chance to really implement the marketing part of it. They don't, they do finance, but they don't get a chance to implement it. And so from this perspective, it's kind of like a culmination. That's why they call it a capstone class. That allows them to to just put it all together in, in one spot. It's really a lot of fun. And so is the team the entire class or is it a group of students and, and how is that determined? So they're they're groups of students. They're they're typically in teams of three to five people, depending on the number of students we have in the class. So this particular group was four students and they just they just did a tremendous job. They chose a differentiation strategy as their as their strategy and they just they killed it. You know, we for as much as I would love to take credit for everything that they accomplished, it's really a culmination of all of the professors that they had before that gave them the skill sets to kind of just come in and, and take, take charge of this process and integrate it all together into one kind of streamlined decision-making process for, for, for results. And so at the end of, at the end of the process, do, so it, given that this is a capstone process, so you're dealing with students that are further along in their academic career, Correct. do you get involved in the placement of these, of these students in their, in their professions? Are you writing, do you find yourself writing letters of recommendation? How, it, how does it all integrate into the greater, you know, moving on in, in the world? 
Yeah. So I, I love writing. That's probably one of the things that I enjoy the most is writing letters of recommendation, especially, I mean, if they're, if they're great students, I mean, you, you want them to, to achieve more in their careers. And I think that there's always this lack of transition from, from academics into the professional work field. And anytime I can help be a person to help bridge that process, I want to be involved in that. So we do some other modules in class, like resumes and interviews, and we do some mock stuff like that for career development as part of their, their capstone class. You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 KZSB, and we'll be right back. The United Boys and Girls Clubs of Santa Barbara County has been serving young people from Carpinteria to Lompoc for over 80 years. Here's Lori Lace. The Boys and Girls Club was started in 1938 here in Santa Barbara. It was a small location over on Haley Street. We started building the location it's at right now on Canna Perdido in 1939. We have locations all the way from Carpinteria up into Lompoc. Plus, we have a Camp Whittier that's 92 acres in the San Ynez Mountains. It's $40 a year, and if you do not have the $40, guess what? You can come for free. Call 681-1315, and that's 805. Go to unitedbg.org and sign up. (laughs) To learn more about the services and programs offered by the United Boys and Girls Clubs of Santa Barbara County, go to unitedbg.org or call 805-681-1315. Not completing high school is more of a social thing than it was an academic thing. I came out in the 11th grade. Nobody was embracing you. The kids were cruel. It was very difficult to be gay. Even though all these years have passed, I still had that longing to have my diploma. The hard part was determining that I was going to do it, but I definitely didn't do it alone. At age 30, with the help of her mentor, Carissa finished her high school diploma. I have a mentor, Maria. She convinced me to continue my education and to finish what I started to get my diploma. Just never judges. She's a true role model. If you're even considering getting your high school diploma, go get it. You can do it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by American Riviera Bank, making your life easier with cutting-edge technology, mobile deposits, free use of every ATM machine in the country, and a level of service other banks can only dream about. You know, when you were talking about becoming a professor, you mentioned that you became interested when you were able to do a, a guest lecture. Uh, I spent 12 years as a as a adjunct at uh, Santa Barbara City College, and uh, I found that it's one thing to talk about anecdotes. It's another thing to have a syllabus that encompasses uh, 13 weeks. So there's a lot of work that goes into constructing a course that's that's a value. Um, so I think, you know, uh, I don't know how much of a shock you had between the, I'm going to talk about what a successful business person I am to actually getting down to the nitty gritty. 
it was it was uh i mean it's definitely an eye-opener and and fortunately i had some really good mentors out of channel islands that helped me you know they they work with you and kind of help you get your your syllabi prepared correctly and 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 as you get into it you start to make tweaks and and you 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 pick up on other little teaching techniques and things that from other from other professors that that are really nice and then of course they evaluate you and they usually give you some really nice feedback and it even though you're 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 being evaluated it's nice to get that feedback when they say hey you know we you know, we think that you can engage the students a little bit better this way, or we really like this, or you can improve that. And I just look at all that as just awesome, constructive criticism to become better at what you do just in anything in life. It's just, I tell my kids all the time, I don't care what you do in life, just be the best at it. I found a lot of, uh, not a lot, but a number of students would come over to me after class, and rather than asking a question, they would ask about if I could help them funding their new idea. You know, they look at people that, like us who do both teaching and uh, business as a source of capital. Yeah, that can be the case. But fortunately, my capital is always tied up somewhere else, it seems like, with four kids. So, yeah, no, I'm not saying you should do it. I, I didn't do it either. I'm just saying that that's one of the problems of, uh, of teaching when you're in business at the same time. Well, and I think at some point, you know, CI will move to a point. So like I've, I've got a lot of colleagues and friends that are all spread out through the entrepreneurship academic community throughout the country. And a lot of other schools, they have incubators and, and those types of things. And and in our entrepreneurship program, it's it's Cindy Sherman runs the, the, the institute there and she's great. And it just it takes time to build those things to where you reach a point where you have incubators and accelerators on campus that are associated with the fund that's been established and and in the 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 kind of the the tenure of the university it's very young when it comes to those things that you know if you compared yourself to you know like a stanford or somebody else it's very very well established over you know decades of of establishment so those things will eventually get there and those students will have access to those on someday and like a lot of things in the business world, hopefully some of those alumnus will come back and they'll fund, put their name on that. But what do you what do you think of the notion that kids, uh, and I'm just asking this devil as a devil's advocate, sure. should, should not be taking business in undergraduate school. They should be taking liberal arts so they can learn how to think. And if they want to do business, they can either take in their last year or, or go on for an MBA. But business in undergraduate school sort of, takes away from the opportunity to learn about philosophy, literature, and, you know, just the basic critical thinking. Yeah. And I think that depends on the school. So, you know, I, I attended, I, I did my undergrad at, at Pepperdine. I did a business degree at Pepperdine and I would consider that the education that I received was, was relatively well-rounded. I, I loved the art class that I had to take. I mean, I had to take a music appreciation class. I took some literature classes I love that stuff. And I, I think, you know, now, you know, if I could make money at history, I would probably would be, you know, a history major, maybe even a doctorate in history, but I can't make money at that, but I love that topic and I love that subject. And so I, I try to inter intertwine that as much as I can, but I really felt like I got a, a nice, well-rounded education. So it, it, de it depends on the program. And the prereq requirements, because some of them are are very, you know, kind of 
you know, into the liberal arts side of, of the education process, even though you're a business major, but, and some aren't, but I, I, I like that. So what, what's happening, what's new happening on campus at the, I'll say the full name, the Martin V. Smith School of Business and Economics, in case someone's listening and wants to have it renamed with an incubator or something. <laughs> so there, there's a couple of things going on. Um, a couple of the professors, um, Aiken Pavlin and, and Cindy Sherman, have been working on a, uh, a micro-internship program that's been very successful even during COVID. So once again, kind of looking towards that application of, you know, academic knowledge into the professional community has been huge. And that's been awesome to see the success of that. And, and we're constantly trying to, to match internships and, and those types of things to give students that experience that they need, but also prepare them professionally to go out into that professional world. And, and those are the things that, that we're trying to do out there. The school, the, the school has always um, championed the idea of collaboration between various departments. Um, and, 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 you know, no, nothing is just simply business or science. There's always some overlap. Uh, have you been able to uh, create some type of engagement with other departments? So we, uh, and I don't know if we'll have enough time before we go to break on this, but um, I've taught a class called, um, the, it, was a, it was an art class. And it was an art professor, Irina Costache and I, we taught this class together. And most of the time we put on college night at the Getty Center. We were in charge of that. And it was funny because I did a, a little uh, exercise in the class. And I said, what, are the, what do the art students think the stereotypes are of the business students and vice versa? And what we realized was is that they realized that they're a lot similar than they thought they were because all the art students thought that all the business majors were like just super left-brained and all analytical and all the business students thought the exact opposite that all the art people were all right-brained and never thought any anything analytical and the reality of it is is that they found that 90 percent of their their personality traits transposed to the other side and they realized that they were really kind of like the same people and they got along great and we put on some great events there down at the getty center for college night during that that time frame that's exciting. And so how how has the um, the community embraced the micro internship pro program? I mean, I mean, I think they've embraced it, you know, tremendously. I mean, it's it's gaining momentum. You know, a lot of times you start those programs out and they have a little bit of, uh, you know, they, they they start kind of slowly. But it seems like everybody wants to jump onto that really quickly and, and it's going to take some logistics in order to handle the demand that's associated with that micro internship program. The, the professors have done a great job and so has the school. So you're listening to money talk on AM 1290 KZSB and we'll be right back with our final segment. For prospective homebuyers, one of the most important steps of the loan process is getting clear and honest information from someone who will speak plainly and truthfully about loan programs and options. I'm Kelly Marsh, Vice President, California, of Cornerstone Home Lending, where our highly skilled and experienced team takes great pride in helping clients obtain home financing with honest, knowledgeable, fast, friendly, and efficient service. As a Santa Barbara native who has spent the past 20 years in the mortgage industry and has closed over 4,000 loans, I'd appreciate the opportunity to earn your business and invite 
invite you to visit thekellymarshteam.com or call my office at 805-563-1100 to learn more about how Cornerstone Home Lending can help you determine the best way to manage mortgage debt to achieve a more stable financial future. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. California Residential Mortgage Lending Act License Number 41DB0-72220. California Financial Lending Law License Number 60DB0-72528. Loan Originator NMLS Number 245822. Not a commitment to loan. Equal housing opportunity. When a bank is owned by the community and invests in the community, it answers to a different call. It's personal. It's driven by your needs, not ours. Welcome to American Riviera Bank, based right here in Santa Barbara with branches in Montecito and Goleta. Our customers know us for personal service every day, every way. You can bank on us. Bank on us. Bank on us! American Riviera Bank. Bank on better. One of the newfangled necessities of daily life is 30 years old this month, the World Wide Web. The WWW concept was developed by two scientists at the CERN Laboratory in Switzerland. In 1994, there were just 2,700 sites on the global network. Nowadays, there are over 1.8 billion. About 86% of households in the U.S. have internet access at home. Profile America is a public service of the U.S. Census Bureau. Advisors, a leading wealth management firm founded on providing thoughtful, objective, and comprehensive financial guidance for families and entities who are seeking long-term financial confidence. So, Mike, given your unique position of seeing young people who are trying to get ahead in, in life and really um, prepare themselves for the future, and really our all of our future, our collective future depends on it. How are you feeling? Do you feel optimistic about the youth of, of the next generation? You know, you, you always hear the negative. So I, I figured that we'd go to somebody who has hands-on experience. I, I am. I'm, I'm super optimistic. I, you know, the idea should be that every generation should be better than the previous. I mean, there's some great generations that came before us. And I look at my grandparents' generation. I just, I love that generation. But I think that they have all of these tools available to them to just really make a tremendous impact. And never before in the world do I think that we've had the technology or even the computing power to be able to solve some of the greatest problems that we've ever encountered in, in the history of, of, of this planet. So I'm extremely optimistic. Uh, you know, I think we have a lot of negatives and, and I'll come home and I have these kind of a, I call it the debriefing with my wife. She's laying in bed and I get home at night after class at like 9 30, 10 o'clock. And she's like, how was class tonight? And I was just like, surprisingly good. And she's like, why? I'm just like, they're insightful. They have drive. You know, a lot of times the, the millennials and even the gen, the, the iGen generation, as they call them sometimes, or the Gen Zs, they get mislabeled. They, they have a different work ethic in that everything is just all combined together for them. So like my daughter and her husband work for a tech company and we go on vacation. And for me, it's like, no, I've blocked that time off. I have to have that week off. Nobody talked to me. And for them, they don't even have a paid time off policy at their company. They just work from wherever, whenever. 
he'll get up in the middle of the night and get on a conference call. And then the next day he's sitting at the beach and then three hours later, he's on a zoom call again. And it's just all part of that normal thing. And I think that, that the older generations like myself, a gen Xer, they, they look at that and we're, we're so segmented about how we want to do things. And for them, it's just all about accomplishing these tasks instead of that kind of, you know, baby boomer generation where you go and you literally punch that mechanical time clock. So it's really positive from that perspective. So well, that's great news. So um, the um, uh, COVID uh, problem of being on Zoom, because you mentioned Zoom, uh, business is such a business education really benefits from the, the interplay between people and, the, and their ideas. You know, the case method, what, you know, whether or not you know, the kids have that much to offer. It's sort of like the whole bunch of them always end up doing better as a group. Did you find it was difficult with Zoom? Yes and no. I thought it really helped <coughs> tremendously with their ability to collaborate online. I mean, it just forced everybody to do it. I mean, including us, like we're doing a Zoom here right now with talking to each other. But there's always something about that personal interaction, the smell of the room, the, the, the body language, the entire amount of body language that you can read. They talk about most communication being nonverbal. Those are the things that I think you'll always miss. And, and sometimes you can't truly ever really replace that, that personal interaction of the handshake and everything that's associated with that. Well, thank you so much for, for being here. And thank you so much for all of the great teaching you're doing at CI. Um, and thank you all for listening. You've all been listening to Money Talk. And we'll see you all next week.